Well, we're going to start the book of Deuteronomy this morning. And as we begin this book, Moses, in the first two or three chapters, recounts Israel's 40-year journey through the wilderness. Moses reminds Israel what a great provider God has been. God has met every need of this vast multitude that has come up out of Egypt, and he's met their need in a very desolate place. And he's done so for 40 years. God has led them. God has fed them. (laughs) He's given them manna. He even gave them quail when they desired meat. And he gave them water. Uh, when they were thirsty, not only for themselves, but for their livestock and all their uh, belongings. Lori and I just returned from the Arizona wilderness. We visited the Big Ditch, the Grand Canyon, (laughs) and uh, some of the other national parks out there. And we went on on one hike down to uh, the cliff dwellings and I think it was the Hopi Indians that uh, well, we visited some of their cave dwellings and looked at how they had to struggle just to survive. Living on the side of a mountain with just a little pathway up and the water sometimes being you know, several hundred feet below and uh, just to get a drink of water was a chore. Uh, and survival for these Indians, the early Americans, was a, it was a full-time job just to get by. And we're blessed today to live in America where food and water are plentiful, except for California. And uh, Israel, two and a half million strong, they've wandered in the desert for 40 years. But God has provided for his people. And that's an incredible testimony of the faithfulness of God. But now Israel, they're on the brink of entering the promised land. But only the children, the children of this rebellious generation, those 20 years old and younger, are allowed to enter the promised land. Only two of the older generation, Joshua and Caleb, Two men of faith are allowed to go in to the wilderness. That's part of the our promised land. That's part of the reason they wandered 40 years waiting for that generation to die off. <clears throat> but Canaan, the promised land, it's inhabited by giants of Anakim. And in Deuteronomy 3.11, we read about Og, the king of Basham, uh, and Moses describes his bed. His bed was 13 and a half feet long. That's quite long. And it's six feet wide. And this is just for one person. The, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, uh, they come to Moses. They want to stay on the eastern side of the Jordan because it's good pasture land and it's good for their flocks and their sheep and so forth. And God allows this. But these three tribes 
of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. They're to go with the other tribes and help drive out those who occupy the promised land. And God wants his people in the promised land. But that brings up a question about Moses. Aaron and Miriam, they both have died. Moses' brother and his sister. And in chapter 1 and verse 37, Moses reveals why God will not allow him to enter the promised land. And he says, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes. He's blaming the people. Saying, even you shall not go into the land. Now Moses has been the faithful leader in strife and trouble and heartache. He's led the people very faithfully. But Moses misrepresented God before the people. And to God, that is a grievous sin to misrepresent him. And God is angry towards Moses. And he, and he struck the rock when he was supposed to speak to the rock. And he broke the whole analogy of Christ the rock being struck just once. And God says, no, because of this, Moses, this you will not enter the promised land. And he's refused entry into the promised land. And that can seem kind of harsh to us. But let's read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 3. We'll look at verses 23 through 29. And we get to see Moses here. Verse 23. Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in the heavens or on the earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds. I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains of Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account, and he would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me on this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah, which is a mountain, and lift your eyes towards the west, the north, the south, and the east, and behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross this Jordan. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause him to inherit the land which you will see. So we stayed in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Moses is pleading with God. He's begging God, allow me to cross and go over into the promised land. Verse 26, and he says, but God was angry with me because of the people. And uh, God would not listen to me. God has said to Moses, be quiet. <laughs> Enough of this, Moses, speak to me no more concerning this matter. God is telling Moses, it's not going to happen, Moses. I don't care how much you beg and plead, so just be quiet. Moses has reached a place where God will no longer hear him. 
Now remember, God and Moses, it said of them that they communicated on a face-to-face type conversation basis. And now God is telling Moses, be quiet, I'm not listening to you. Moses has been pleading with God. Please, God, oh, please, please, (laughs) let me enter the good land. And God says, no. Have you ever received a no from God? Well, if you've known God for any length of time, you have. And if you've received a no, take it for no and just move on. It's for your own good. God's no means no. God even tells Moses, be quiet about it. Don't want to hear it, Moses. Now, in our limited understanding and our looking through a glass darkly, which we do, we can, if we're not careful, become offensive to God with our pleas and our beggings. It's always good for us to allow God to be God. Moses is here and he's begging God, pleading with God. And God tells him, enough, stop it, Moses. And it's good for us to remember that Moses is writing this account about himself. We have a dilemma many times in trying to discern if God is saying no to our request or is he simply saying not now. And there is a difference. We are told to pray without ceasing. Knock and keep knocking. So how do we determine when God is saying no or when he is saying not now? Well, you've heard me say this before, and it didn't originate with me, but there's three answers to prayer that God will give us. Yes, no, or not now. God never says maybe. Well, if you really clean up your act and be a good boy for three weeks, maybe I'll answer you. God never says that to us. It's yes, no, or not now, or you're not ready for it, whatever you want to say. That forces us to recognize that God is for us. You have to, you have to get that down. You have to get that to be one of those tenets of your faith that God is for you. Oftentimes, the very thing that we're praying for happens to be a God-given desire that he has placed in our hearts. And there's times when I pray for things and I do not know if they're God's will for me or not. And many times I'll confess to God, I don't know what your will is here. But if I'm asking for things that I shouldn't be asking, you change my heart. I've I've prayed for a change of heart. And I want what God deems best for me, not what my opinion of best for me is. God knows the beginning from the end. And so it's good to ask for God's best for us. We close or 
we should close our prayers with something like, in the name of Jesus we pray, or in Jesus' name. And whenever I hear a prayer in public, I always listen for how they close that prayer. Who are they praying to? And how are they praying? We're told to pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus. And that's why we close, most Christians close their prayers with in the name of Jesus. And by saying in the name of Jesus, we're asking for God's wisdom to be applied to our prayer. In the name of Jesus means in the manner of Jesus, not in my manner. And Moses has been pleading. He's been begging to enter the promised land. And God is firm with Moses, and it's simply no. And by the way, Moses, hush, don't speak to me anymore about it. Sometimes we can be the most dangerous to ourselves when we think, when we think we know the heart of God. The disciples are very guilty of this. So turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We'll, we'll be in Luke chapter 9 for the rest of this morning. Luke chapter 9, we'll pick up in verse 46. Then a dispute arose among the, them as to which of them would be the greatest. This is the disciples. And Jesus, perceiving the thoughts of their heart, took a little child and sat him by himself next to Jesus. And he said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is the least among you will be great. The disciples are arguing among themselves. And this is a quiet argument. Of course, they don't want Jesus to hear it. Which of one of them will be the greatest? And it says, Jesus perceiving their thoughts. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus says, you want to be great? Be like a child. Verse 49. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. John needs clarification in his life. It's important to John, and it's important to the rest of the disciples, and they're interested in greatness. Jesus, we saw a person casting out demons in your name, but he was not one of us. <laughs> and so we forbid him. Jesus gives a simple reply to that. Do not forbid him. For if he's not against us, he's for us. That's pretty simple, you know. And then we read, Jesus now sets his face towards Jerusalem. He's now dedicated himself to going to Jerusalem. 
and verse 51, Now it came to pass when the time come for him to be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went, and they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him, speaking of the Samaritans, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? But he turned and he rebuked them, and he said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Jesus is intent upon going to Jerusalem. He set his face towards Jerusalem. And he and his disciples, to get to Jerusalem, they must travel through Samaria. And there's a small village they come upon there in Samaria. And the Samaritans in this village, they reject Jesus. This Jewish rabbi on his way to Jerusalem, they want nothing to do with him whatsoever. And who gets offended? The disciples. James and John, they want to take action. They want to take action against these hated Samaritans. Listen to their question to, do, to Jesus. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Then they kind of throw in, just like Elijah did. <laughs> like that made it okay. In very short order here, the disciples are arguing which one of them will be the greatest and they miss Jesus' example, be like a little child. Then the disciples, they forbid another believer, not just a pagan, but another believer from casting out demons in the name of Jesus because this believer wasn't one of them. And now James and John take the position of being a disciple of Jesus to the extreme. Do you want us to command fire to come down and consume these hated Samaritans? Evidently, they had the power to do this. Do you want us to, Jesus? Do you want us to call down fire? And why do they want this? Why are they desiring to destroy the Samaritan? Because the Samaritans do not believe like the disciples believe. The disciples want, they desire to be the first Christian terrorist. They want to call down fire, burn them up. But Jesus will not allow them. These disciples, the chosen 12, they're in direct opposition to their Lord. And the irony here is they don't even realize it. Their motives and their hearts are in direct conflict with Jesus. 
Jesus rebukes them. You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. The thinking of the disciples, their mindset is completely wrong. Completely wrong. All right. Let's bring that up to date. Dylan Ruth, the shooter in the Charleston, South Carolina church, he declared of his murder, if I wasn't going to do it, who would? That was his thinking. Who's going to do this killing if I don't do it? And that's alarming. As disciples of Christ, it is required of you and I to know what spirit we are of. The disciples wanting to call down fire, they don't know what spirit they're of. And Jesus, he could have rebuked them when they argued about greatness. He could have, right then, he could have just wiped them out with their uh, self-centered desires, their selfish desires of wanting to be great and so forth. But he doesn't. How about when they forbid another believer from doing good works in the name of Jesus? Because he wasn't one of them. Jesus is allowing the disciples to see the extreme evilness that lies within their heart. The disciples are considering murder. And Jesus rebukes them, showing them their hearts. The Samaritans, now they were rude to Jesus. Is that a reason to kill them? The disciples react by wanting to call down fire to consume them. Dylan Ruth the one that shot all, what, nine Christians there in Charleston. He wanted to kill people of another race for whatever reason he had in his own heart. He wanted to kill them. Have you ever been treated rudely or been treated wrong? Well, if you've lived very long, you have. And if you're not careful... When we're treated wrong, you can develop an attitude of resentment and hate. The news media in America, I loathe them. Oh, I loathe them. (laughs) In their desire to gain viewers, you know, market shares, they promote unrest, even rioting, in America. They promote it. They even use their media to push the racial tension that can be there. Do you remember Ferguson, Missouri? How could you forget? Baltimore, Maryland, and now we have Charleston, South Carolina. Do not allow these 
broadcasters, these news broadcasters, who promote and glorify the injustice that is out there, don't allow them to influence your opinions as a Christian. The news media jumps all over any racial tragedy to the extent you, you just, you're horrified by it. And they will stay on top of that issue until we become so very weary of seeing it. Years ago, Rodney King was beat by the Los Angeles police. And they showed that video so many times. And every time you show that video, you cause someone to hate. In my humble opinion, the news media is not truthful, nor are they about peace. They're about unrest. As Christians, we must be careful to guard our hearts about what spirit we are of. Hate is so easy to do. It's easier to hate than love. That's why we're told constantly in the scriptures, love one another. We're told constantly by Jesus, right to his disciples, you don't even know what kind of spirit you're of, and you're my disciples, and you walk with me every day, and you see the good deeds I do, and you don't have a clue what I'm about. What a condemnation on the disciples. Thank goodness, thank you, Lord, that the disciples turned through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the resurrection of Jesus. They, they did get their acts together. <laughs> and all but John died a martyr's death. But what a change had to take place in their hearts. Our Lord doesn't want you and I with a bad spirit towards fellow man. Now, We're in big changes in America right now. Uh, as you know, the Supreme Court ruled that same-sex marriages is now legal in all states. And don't hate those that want that. Don't hate them. They're trapped in sin. They have a sin mindset. That's all it is. And we've all been there. We've all been trapped by sin. Share the good news of Jesus. You know, share love. And know what spirit you are of. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. <sighs> Father God, as a people, as a society... We're in troubling times. And Lord, we want to be about you and your kingdom. We want to have 
the Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, causing us to act and promote Jesus. We want to be about you, Jesus. We don't want to be about hate. We don't want to be about violence. We want to be about loving our fellow man and introducing him to you, Lord. So help us. Lord, we pray for our nation. Lord, it, it's troubling to see our nation embracing sin. But Lord, we don't want to be like the disciples wanting to call down fire. We want to be about you in your kingdom and the freedom that you give us in yourself, Lord. Let us be about that. So help us. Uh, our prayers come quickly, Lord Jesus. We see the many different things that trouble us, and only you can bring peace to this world, peace to our country. So we pray for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.